Welcome to another edition of the Dementia Care Partner Talk Show. Now, here's dementia care expert Tifa Snow and your host, Greg Phelps. Hello and welcome to the Dementia Care Partners podcast. I'm your host, Greg Phelps, along with Tifa Snow. And Tifa, um, what was I reading? Something about four challenges of end-of-life care? Is there just four or are there a whole bunch more? Like, I'm thinking there's a ton. Oh, I think even identifying what is the end-of-life care? I mean, what is end-of-life? I mean, versus late-state care versus, I mean, really knowing you're at the end of life is one of the big challenges. So yeah, the four, I think that was a, that was probably an overstatement. I think, you know, here's at least four major challenges. Let's, let's put it that way. There are at least four major challenges with late, with end of life care, I think. So can you define those or, or is it just sort of um, personal for each situation? Well, well, let me ask the question back to you. So, Greg, if you were at the end of your life, okay, would it matter that you were at the end of your life with dementia versus at the end of your life with another health condition where your your body was failing, but your brain was still intact? You know, other than it knew your body was failing and there was no way out of this. What do you what do you think? Is is there a is there a difference between those two categories? Well, I, I think the movie ends the same way. So yeah, I, I don't think so. You don't think so, except when I say to you with an intact brain, Greg, oh, how's awareness. Your pain yeah. level? How's yeah. your pain level? Do you, I mean, you've got a morphine pump. Do you want to go mm. ahead and push the morphine pump? You know how it feels when you push it. You know how, what happens if you don't push it. Um, you know, and if I were to say that to you, you would be able to go, okay, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and push it, even though it makes me foggy and groggy, and I can't really stay connected to you, but I, the pain is getting to where I want to get in front of it. So I'm going to do that. Um, versus you, you can't speak, you can't react, you can't respond to me when I ask you things and you're, ah, now, if you just walk in on that and you've never been connected with someone before and you just walk in on it, what might you think or feel right away, either as a family member or a professional, and you walk in and I'm doing that? I, I, I would think you're in some sort of distress, pain, something. I, I, I would feel actually helpless. You would feel helpless. And that would make you want to make me feel better, right? Yep. Yeah, I got to so do something we, for her. Got to got to do something. We yeah. got to do something. We got to give her something. And so what happens to who's pushing the button on the morphine or who's pushing the button on something? Uh, well, it would not be the person in the bed. It might be me, it might be somebody, it might be a medical person. I I don't know. So so my question for you is, well, so you didn't pause and you didn't say so is this is this something she does routinely? Is this sort of a way that she vocalizes normally? Or is this something more louder, harsher, more intense? Or is it just what she's been doing? Mm. When well, does it happen? <laughs> I, here's here's the number one problem that you just hit on. I, I assumed. And, and what's right. the old saying about making an ass out of you and me or something? So, yeah. Yeah. so the biggest challenge is getting us to assess individuals in late state dementia 
to but find how out. can I tell the difference? I, I mean, if mm -hmm. I see you on the bed, does it really matter what kind of dementia you have? Mm -hmm. Well, it might very well, because if I've been using ah to express everything, then you got to get better at taking in my ah and, and listening for volume, intensity, frequency. You want to know, does it only happen after you try to shift me sideways in the bed? Um, is there, I mean, so this is where being truly curious about me and, and, and who I am and what I said. I mean, am I, so Greg, um, let me ask you, are you somebody who would rather tolerate discomfort to pain to be present and in control? Or are you someone who doesn't really care about being in control? You want to be comfortable. I, I'd be the first one. Yep. You're going to be wanting to be in control. Yep. So, well, well, but Greg, you know, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. Well, comfort is relative to the individual, isn't it? I can tolerate a lot, whereas other people, you know, they get a hangnail and they need to, you know, a morphine drip. So. Yeah. And so really recognizing who you are and what you care about before we get to the place where you can't tell me who you are and what you care about becomes something that is important to sort of put in the hopper because I need to recognize Greg has always valued being in control. For him, having that morphine pump to push, when he had that morphine pump, he might have needed me to cue him up or remind him, you got the pump. You know, how are you feeling right now? Do you want to give it a, a little pump or are you really wanting to be present? Because, you know, look at your pain level and know if you don't push it now, it could really escalate. This is where I can't do that necessarily with a person living with dementia. But I do have my observation skills. And if I look at you over time and I'm watching this shift and change, maybe I could provide you with a better support system so that we're noticing things before they get to that place. And when we notice that when I go to try to get you to move and move you, that it really elicits a really strong reaction, then... I want to look at how I'm doing the thing I'm doing and what I might want to do before I do that thing. And this is where it's like, wow, thinking this stuff through and who should be there because they can't stand being uncomfortable and they want to be in control. And so sometimes it helps to have certain family members around and, and staff around. And sometimes it might be better if they weren't there because their discomfort and their pain drives them to do things quickly and fast and intensely because they want to get through it because it hurts them. I mean, and so this complicated, I mean, this end of life care is complicated. And if we only meet a person and come to know a person at the end of their life, it's really difficult to be really good at this if we haven't done a journey with them you know now, now tipa snow's been doing this for you know what, a couple of years so uh, and you can walk in and pretty much you're in tune with what's going on i've watched that many times and but how about family members or or other care partners i mean we need some skills and is this going to be a four-hour course that i can take can i take something online can you know how can i get some smarts to deal with this ahead of time get ahead what do they say they the buzzword get ahead of the curve get ahead of the curve and i think the hardest thing for us to do is to want to approach this final gateway 
this final connection physically that we're going to have with somebody and get curious about it. I think if we can help families be curious about what does end of life care look like? What does life ending look like? What does the transition from living to not living to dying literally often look like? And what does it look like if somebody has a lot of fluid and fuel on board? And what happens if we allow that to empty out? And what does that look like? And how do you start to recognize between your hunger and thirst and how you would feel and want something and what they're showing you they're interested in? So really starting to be curious about this end of life process um, and what we actually know about medications and people living with dementia and the different dementias and delirium and pain. And that pain may not be physical, but it could be really intense. If I can't hear a voice I really want to hear, or I can't, I, when you move me and it scares me because I, I can't control my own body and I'm a controller, then when I scream, it's because I'm moving and I don't know about gravity anymore. I mean, learning these things about helping someone and supporting someone and acceptance, you know, this idea of the grief process and loss and grief so that when you're moving into this space, you're more prepared to be in this space and hold this space and, and be aware of, you know, this margin of time and Deepa, what we it, can do. It sounds like we've got a whole other podcast coming up on this one. Um, <laughs> so if people want more information, can I talk to somebody at Positive Approach and, and get some help or even a, a bit of understanding? Absolutely. And so we have consulting. So it's consult at tipasnow.com. We also have chat. You can just come on our website and there's a chat function and you can chat with people back and forth. You can email us. Um, we also have resources that we've got and we have some products and services that we offer to folks for more intense support because this is a vital time of life and not living and figuring out how you're going to do that ahead of time. Boy, can that make a difference. Deepa, thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. You've been listening to the Dementia Care Partners podcast brought to you by Positive Approach to Care. For more information, deepasnow.com.